Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 1. <clears throat> One little verse we'll begin with. and Normally, I don't spend a lot of time running through the Scriptures. I, I really don't like a lot of page flipping and all that, but today we're going to do a little. We're going to begin here in this passage of Scripture. It says, Before daybreak... The next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. So let's pray. Our Father and our God, we bless your name and thank you. We give you glory, honor, and praise. We thank you for love, for peace, for power, for grace, for mercy, for courage. We ask even now, Lord, that you would bless your preacher. Help me, Lord, to open the word for your people. And then, Lord, give your people ears to hear and eyes to see. We beg heaven even now, Lord, that Jesus Christ himself will walk out of the text and present himself to your people in full view of their brokenness and heal us today. We need you, Lord, in every way. This we ask in the blessed name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this prayer by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we say these words, Lord. We beg heaven in your darling and precious name's sake. And all of God's people said together, Amen. Amen. This passage of Scripture is an interesting one. I know that on the surface you would think that I'm about to talk about prayer. And I don't want to mess you up, but I ain't. Y'all know what ain't means down here, right? Okay. But it is interesting to note in the text that Jesus went out early in the morning and prayed. Now, really what I'm about to do is I'm about to mess with some people's theology. I'm going to monkey with your theology a little bit. Now, the challenge in the church today is that for too many of us, our theology is based on mythologies. When in fact, what we ought to do is what I try to teach in the church, our pastor, is this, is that the Bible is the sole source of authority for all matters of faith, for people of faith. It is not the secondary, there is no secondary source. It is not the primary source. Because if it's the primary source, there must be a secondary source and a tertiary source. So it cannot be the primary source because that implies there's a secondary source. It has to be the sole, lone, only source of authority for all matters of faith for people of faith. And because we're all people of faith, we'll look to the scriptures for the authority that it presents. And every once in a while, you will smile at me to remind me that I'm amongst the saints. <laughs> I know you're just thinking deeply, trying to figure out what I'm talking about and where I'm going. But just stick with me. We're going somewhere. So I want to talk about your theology. And I want to, let me, let me define the word theology for your sake. I'm not talking about a systematic theology that's written by men and women who are far more smarter, far, far more intelligent than I and far more learned than I. I'm talking about 
the words that you say about God, your theos logos, your, the words that you say about God, that's really all theology is. It's, these, these are words that we say about God. And the reality is you can't really say anything about God until you have met him in the scriptures. Because really all you could say about him without the scriptures is that I think that there is someone who is greater than me by looking at what he created and knowing that someone put this in order. But you have to come to the scriptures and meet Jesus Christ who declares to us the real, personal, in-your-face God of the Bible. And once you have met him in Jesus Christ, then and then only can you really develop a theos logos, the right words about God based on the words that God said about himself as he reveals himself in the scriptures. So what I want to do today is kind of look at your theology and mess with your theology a little bit. Not not mess with it to mess it up, but mess with it to straighten it up. But also to encourage you and to give you, to help you to have a, an increased faith. I believe that all preaching, all teaching, everything we do in the church that is designed to go out to the people of faith is designed to increase your faith. I tell the people in my church that if you hear preaching that doesn't increase your faith, it ain't preaching. If you hear teaching that doesn't increase your faith, it ain't real biblical teaching. It's something else. We can't call it of God because God wants your faith to increase. So let's see what God will do with your faith today. Here is Jesus after a long day, and you can... Go back and look at the context of Mark chapter 1, and you'll find that he had just called his first group of disciples, and, and after that he had, he had cast out a, a, an evil spirit, and, and later on that day he, he, was, he was in the synagogue, and, and after that people came and, and, and were looking for him to heal the sick and the demon-possessed people were just, were just crowding in on Jesus. He was, he was overwhelmed with the, the numbers of people who were coming to him all day long, and, and after all of that he took some rest. And the scripture we find in verse 35, he rises early in the morning, just before daybreak. The next morning, Jesus got up and went out into a isolated place to pray. Now, now the challenge here in the text is this, is that, that for people who are outside of the household of faith, folk who are not believers, they, they have a problem with the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. They, they have a problem with the fact and, and, and our faith belief that, that Jesus is God and that he was raised from the dead. The, the people who are not believers, the folk in the world, so to speak, are, have a problem with the divinity of Jesus Christ. But, but within the church, I'm, I've, after 38 years of, of living, teaching, preaching, pastoring, I've come to a conclusion that the people in the church have a problem with the humanity of Christ. And that's what I want to talk about with you today. I want to talk about not the, the, the deity of Christ, but the humanity. Not the divinity of Christ, but the humanity of Christ. Because I think it will help you out today as it has helped me and some other folk along the way. You see, beloved, the, 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 the reality in this text jumps out at me when I first read it. Why is it that Jesus, who we have always professed and we professed it rightly, that he is both God and man, why is it that Jesus had to get up and go pray? 
What is God going to say to himself? Why would Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, have to get up and go pray? Doesn't, doesn't this sound circular? Well, it, it, it struck me as strange as why would Jesus have to get up and go and pray? Well, as we, as we walk through the scriptures, I'm going to show you what I always talk about as a connected dot scenario. And what you'll, what you'll find is, is that, that we found a dot here in the scriptures. And, and as we go through the scriptures, we connect this dot to another dot that's related to it. We'll, we'll actually begin to see a, a glorious, great, grand, and wonderful picture of God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness emerge as we connect the dots and, 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 and God begins to color it with his wisdom through the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll begin to see something emerge in in the text that I believe will help you and me has helped me tremendously to walk in faith more than I ever have before because I see Jesus differently today than I ever have in the past. It's something about the fact that Jesus, who we have always professed and have clung to his divinity, we've always elevated his divinity above his humanity, but all of a sudden we meet this man who is worn out, Plum Tucker, who has been run hard and put to bed wet after a long day of ministering to people, and he has to get up in the morning before daybreak and find a quiet place to refresh himself in prayer. There's nowhere in the Old Testament that we hear God praying to himself. But here in the New Testament, Jesus gets up and goes and prays. Why would Jesus need prayer? Isn't he God all by himself? <laughs> That's a good old black Baptist thing. He's God all by himself. <laughs> I, I tell y'all, yeah, I almost got a I almost got a <laughs> I almost got one out of me now. <laughs> all right. Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2? I want to show you the next dot in this connected dot scenario because I want you to see that, that the challenge with us is, is, is not the divinity of Christ. We, we proclaim him as Lord. We declare that he is Lord. The challenge we have is, is, is his humanity, but, but there's also a challenge with his divinity because even though we may say he's Lord, we don't always want to live like he's Lord. I'm sorry if I hit you. Don't 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 duck, baby. That that lick of that lick will make you straight. God will take a crooked stick and hit a straight lick every time, baby. I promise you. Our challenge is not with the declaration of His lordship. Our challenge is with is with our practice of His lordship, because we don't fully understand the humanity of Christ. We we, we got to struggle with that. Look at this Philippians uh, chapter two. We're going to begin in verse six, and we're going to. I wind up in verse 8. Here's what it says from the New Living Translation. Though he was God. Don't miss the tense in the text. It says, though he was God. That's past tense. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he says, the text says, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death 
on the cross. See, there's something in that text right there that answers the question about why Jesus had to pray. The reality is that Jesus, who is both God and man, had to pray because he had divested himself. He had taken off all of his divinity and left it in heaven. You see, he came here without any of his divine privileges. Am I, am I in the text here? Am I, am I lying on the Bible? No, the scripture says that, that Jesus took off his robes in glory and left them there and came down through 42 generations born of a woman and lived and walked the dusty roads of earth. And he experienced everything that you and I have to experience in our present life because Jesus was coming to do something that he could not do as God. See, beloved, hadn't God visited people all throughout the Bible? Don't you remember Abraham's encounter at the Oak at Mamre? Don't you remember Moses' encounter on the mountain with the bush? Don't you remember Jacob wrestling with God at the ford of the Jabbok? Don't you remember all these wonderful experiences? Don't you remember God came strolling in the garden in the cool of the evening to meet and to commune with his children, Adam and Eve? God had appeared many times before in the scriptures, but not like he did when Jesus shows up. This is something new. This is something unique before. These these experiences that they had with God before were merely visitations. But this man, Jesus, is an invasion. I'm telling you, there's something different about what Jesus is doing than what God had done before in the scriptures. Not just a visitation, it's an invasion. Jesus was the first body snatcher. (laughs) Yeah, I'm telling you, he came to do something. He came to take something. Yeah, he came to run the, the, the table and run and rule this place. He came for a reason, not just a visitation. He came for an invasion. We look at the text and we find that, that he, 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 he was God. He was clearly, as the scripture says, he was fully divine, equal with God the Father. But he did not think of his position as something that he should cling to. So he, he, he was willing to divest himself. He was willing to strip off his glory. He was willing to take off all that made him God and very God and lay it aside and, and choose a womb to be born into. And he was willing to choose a family to come through and he was willing to find a little town on the backside of Judea called Bethlehem. He was willing to find a place that had no room for him in the end and he'd have to be born in a manger. He was willing to come in that condition because he had a reason to come that way. He wasn't born in a palace, but he was born on the backside of a city where nobody would call his name glorious. But the angels, he had a reason for coming that way that matters to us today. Scripture tells us here, instead, verse 7, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born. Please don't miss the scripture. Was born. Was born. See, what, what, what I've seen in so many instances is that for some reason we treat Jesus like he is, he, he's, he's, he's really just God wearing a human costume. Walking around with all this power. And, 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 and for some reason because we hold that mythology 
not theology, but that mythology in our minds. We look at Jesus and we look at what he calls us to do. And what we say is, I'm not Jesus. I can't forgive them. They hurt me. They, they, they tried to break me. They tried to grind me into dust. I can't forgive them. And you say, well, wait a minute. The script, Jesus says you, you need to forgive them 70 times 70. Don't you remember the story where the man was forgiven millions of dollars and went out and found somebody who owed him $10 and he snatched him up in the collar? And, and when, the, when the king found out that the man he had forgiven millions of dollars had gone out and held another man who owed him so little in contempt of his owing, he, he, the, the king restored the debt. We're called to forgiveness. And when you, when you, when you lay the Bible at a person's feet, the, the way they, they, they sidestep the scriptures is they typically say, well, I'm not Jesus. Because in their mind, they think that Jesus is really just the divine God wearing a human costume. But the scriptures declare that all that he was, was left there. I told you I was going to mess with your theology today. But I'm going to hit a straight lick with this crooked stick. <laughs> Here's the reality. God, God, Jesus himself left all his divinity in heaven and came down and became just like you, just like me. I want you to get this. Beloved, he is and he was just like you. I would go one step beyond just like, not assimilate, but he was you. And he was me. Because the, top, the scriptures tell us that he was tempted in all points, even as we are tempted today. And the scriptures declare to us that he was homeless. He says, birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, we, we, we know the scripture declares there were a group of women who followed around uh, with Jesus, and they were the ones who provided financial support and assistance for him and the disciples as they, as they ministered. We already know that. Jesus didn't have any money. He didn't have any wealth. Jesus came and became literally a beggar, a poverty-stricken person on the street. He became the lowest of the low, the person you would sidestep on your way into Walmart. I'm sorry, I'm messing with your theology. But that's who he was when he came. He didn't come high and mighty on a cloud. Oh, but he, he's on his way back <laughs> that, that way. Now, I, I, he's, he's on his way back that way, but that's how he came. He came as a baby. And beloved, I want you to get this without being too graphic. The way he came is the way you are today. He he had to do everything you're going to have to do in the next 24 hours without being graphic. Everything you're going to have to do after you eat and before you sleep. And when you wake up, Jesus had to do. He was human. Just like you. Just like me. And that's some good news today. Because I can't now say I'm not Jesus. Because the text declares, yes, you are. Because he was you. And he was me. You see, beloved, what that does for us as believers, what that does for us, those who follow after Jesus, is it, is it wipes the slate of all of our excuses about why we can't do what the master has taught. Because, you see, we, we, we like to think that Jesus came and was able to do all those things because he had some divine power that was, that was pulsing.
blessing in him and through him. But the reality is that Jesus was like you, like me. Jesus was you, was me in every regard except one. In every respect, Jesus was you. In every respect, Jesus was me, except in one case. You want to know what it is? Not yet. It's a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger, baby. Just hang on. The same station, same bat channel next week. <laughs> oh, am I am I am I dating myself here? <laughs> Praise God. That's good. I always tell people when they say, You're getting old, I say, Thank the Lord. Because there is an alternative to getting old. <laughs> I don't know anybody rushing to that. <laughs> this young man got that. All right, I praise God for you. I'm glad you're on the front row. Hallelujah. See, the reality is, is that, that if we embrace the humanity of Christ, the way that God is presenting it to us in the scriptures, then the divinity of Christ will mean more to us. You can't truly understand the divinity and the love of God until you understand the humanity of Jesus Christ. It is the humanity of Jesus Christ that makes the love of God full and complete. Let, let, let me explain that. That's a, such a blanket statement, I apologize. Let me, let me unpack that suitcase for you. You see, it's, it's easy to look <clears throat> at Jesus in his divine nature and say, oh, what a glorious, oh, what a wonderful Savior we have. But, but it, makes, it makes it a little more, you know, here's the thing. He, he, he is untouchable. He is unreachable because his divinity is so different from our humanity. And I, I don't want to go you one step further. I got a few more. I got a little more time now than I did before. Praise God. I'm, I'm going to take you some places. I'm, I'm a, I'll praise the Lord. Here, here's the reality. I, I always love it when people say, well, I'm only human. And I, I, in the back of my mind, if, if, I'm, if they're not in a situation where I'm teaching or preaching and they say I'm only human, if I say, if I have the opportunity, I'm going to tell them, no, that's not true, baby. You're actually less than human. Go, 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 go to Genesis chapter 3. God created them human. And in their rebellious state, they became less than his created intention. You see, beloved, the reality is there's only been two human beings on the planet. Three. Adam and Eve and Jesus. And, and, and when Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended, but I press toward the mark of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. He's talking about achieving the full humanity that God had called him to in Adam, that Adam and Eve failed in, but that Jesus restored. That's why it's important for us to understand that this man, Jesus, was not some divine uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, he was not some, you know, he wasn't some, uh, I don't even know what the best way, he, he wasn't agnostic. He wasn't not agnostic, he wasn't, uh, what's it, gnostic. He wasn't a gnostic. We, we cannot, and then, y'all, I'm sorry, y'all, let me break it down a little bit. He, he was not this, he was not this disembodied spirit hiding in this human's case. He was fully human, with fully human needs, 
fully human wants. Jesus was hungry. Jesus got sleepy. Jesus got tired. Jesus had to relieve himself in the same way that you and I have to relieve ourselves on a whatever basis. <laughs> See, the reality is he was you. He was me. Jesus was fully human. And because he was tempted in every way that you and I are, he becomes someone who doesn't just reach and touch us. Now he becomes someone we can reach and touch. Now we can touch him and feel the warmth of his, his blood flowing through his veins and say he is me and I am him. Because Jesus became fully human, born of a virgin, raised from a boy to a man, we can now say, because he came as even I am, I can say now that he is my flesh and my blood. See, beloved, it's so important for us to understand that because until we wrap our minds around his humanity, we won't understand his divinity, meaning we won't be able to see to what great lengths God has gone to restore you to himself. You will not understand what Jesus Christ gave up so that he could gain something. You see, when Jesus came, he was an investment in humanity. I want to please... I, 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 I want you to get it. I'm, I'm, I'm laboring. I'm laboring here. See, Jesus was an investment. God wanted a return of many sons and daughters, so he sowed a seed of a son. Because a seed can only produce after its own kind. Oh, I'm preaching now. I'm preaching, but y'all didn't hear that. A son. God wanted more sons and daughters, so he had to sow a seed that produced after its own kind. But he also knew that he knew the laws of sowing and reaping. And the laws of sowing and reaping are, it only can produce after its own kind. That's the first law. The second law of sowing and reaping is that a seed will always produce after a period of time that looks like nothing is happening, but it has to lay in the ground for a while before it begins to manifest fruit. There's a season of growing below the ground in order for the fruit to appear later. That's the second law of sowing reaping. But there's a third law. And this is where I get happy. Because a seed that's sown in the ground, it can only produce after its own kind. It sows after a season of waiting, but it also produces far more than itself. See, we can cut open an apple and we can count that there's six to seven seeds in an apple, but who can plant a seed and know how many apples are in a seed? You can't cut open a seed and know how many apples are going to be in there. That's what Jesus was, an investment in humanity. God sowed a seed of a son into humanity, but it had to be a human seed. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Y'all don't, some of y'all are still unrepentant. Some of y'all are still unconvinced about what I'm saying, but I, I just believe the Bible, Hebrews chapter 2. Here's what it says from the sole source of authority. 
Y'all saw how, y'all see how I got y'all? I backed y'all into that corner. I told you the Bible is the sole source of authority on all matters of faith for people of faith. You know what I said? At the beginning, you agree. Yes, we agree. Now, now you back in the corner because I'm about to show you something in the text. Hebrews chapter 2. I got you now. I got you right where I want you. <laughs> Here's what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood for only. See, I don't believe you're running through the text. I believe you take your time because I believe God put that word there for a reason. For only. He couldn't do what he had and wanted to do any other way. He had to sow a seed of a son in order to produce more sons and daughters. And it had to be in flesh and blood in order to produce, to save those flesh and blood children that God was calling to himself. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who had lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jesus had to become fully human. He had to take off his vestments of glory. He had to take off his righteousness. He had to in order for you to, to take on his righteousness. You see, he took on our sin and he put his cloak of righteousness on us. And today, beloved, today because he was willing to take off his righteousness and put on our sin. But today we are able to wear his righteousness. Oh, I don't know. I... I don't know how you feel about that. But I think it's some glory, glory, hallelujah, shouting time to understand that Jesus was willing to come down through 42 generations, live this crazy life that we deal with, walk and be hungry and, and struggle and, and toil. And he, he felt the, the, the horrible sting of rejection from people that he loved, went to his own hometown and, and they rejected him. He had disciples, more than the twelve that followed him, and, and Jesus was talking about the, the blood sacrifice that had to be made, and they said this is too hard of a thing, and, and they left him. And finally, Jesus being dragged from judgment hall to judgment hall after, after being betrayed by one that he himself had chosen, and all of a sudden, even the ones who declared their faithfulness, even the one who drew a sword, even the one who said, I'll die with you, left him. Finally, there he is, standing alone, taking our fists, taking the spittle in his face that was meant for yours, taking the stripes that were meant for your back on his own, bearing the cross that should be on your shoulders, taking the catamaran tails on his back that is yours. He took it for you, but he could only do it as a human being. See, people always think that he was able to endure that because he was divine. No, that's not the reason. That's not why he was able to do that. For his scripture declares he was fully human. He felt the whip. He felt the wetness of the spittle. He felt the closed fist that beat his face. He felt the hands that ripped his beard from his face. He felt the crown of thorns that was crossed on his brow. He felt them. Just like you would. Just like we all should have. Because he was willing to come down through 
42 generations. Be born of a virgin. Walk the dusty roads. Be hungry. Be homeless. Struggle with the rejection of the people he loved the most. Because he was willing. Today you don't have to take the spittle. And the punches. And the slaps. And the thorns. And the nails. And the spikes. Today you don't have to because he was willing. See, beloved, he had to be human to restore a human people. And for that, we ought to give him glory. We ought to give him praise. We ought to give him honor. You see, beloved, because he became human and took away from us the sin that we had heaped upon ourselves, he was on the cross, and even at a moment, for one moment, God turned away from him. And out of the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was God himself, he cries out loud, Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? How can God forsake himself? Because Jesus was fully human. And he felt forsaken nature of humanity in that instant. Love, I'll take you two more places and I'll be done, Pastor. I, I got a lot more to say, but I'm, I'm going to shut it down. I, I know I've shut, shut, I've shut quite a, cut a, a few things here today, but, but I, I want you to see this because it's important. Most of us think that Jesus walked around healing people by his own divine power. The scriptures don't declare that. The scriptures declare that Jesus was operating solely on the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, I'm about to show you why that, that, see, Jesus was like us in every way. He was us in every way except one. I'm about to show you that, and then I'll be done for the evening. The scriptures tell us over in Luke chapter 4 that, that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And after he stayed there and was tempted by Satan, hey, the reality is Satan wouldn't have come to tempt him if he didn't think he had a shot at him. Because Satan only has a shot at humans. Come on, walk with me. Tinted him with all the things that we still falling for. Preachers of L.A. I'm just put it out there, I'm sorry. If I hurt somebody's feeling, take a nap. The scriptures is true. Jesus was tempted in every way, like like all of us still. He felt the pangs of hunger. Anybody been hungry in this room? He felt the pangs of loneliness. Anybody been? Yeah, he felt it all. Everything you've ever had to endure, everything you ever will endure, Jesus experienced. Because he was fully human. And he walked these roads. He, he, He healed people, but not by his own power. He healed people. For this one reason, the difference between you and Jesus, the difference between me and Jesus was the same difference between him and his disciples. How many times did Jesus say to his own disciples, O ye of little faith? How many times did Jesus say, how long do I have to suffer with you people of no faith? How many times did Jesus tell us that, 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 that faith the size of a mustard seed, if you just have that kind of small faith, you could say to that mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it would do it. Don't you remember when the man brought his son to Jesus and, 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 and said, uh, Master, your disciples could not cast out this demon? And, and Jesus said, 
turn to the man. I love Jesus. He's so bold, such a man. Woo, he's such a man. I'm tired of this old wimpy, gasp of milk toast Jesus people preach. He was a man. Jesus turned to the man and said, what do you mean if I can? Look at the text. He says, what do you mean if I can? Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible. To those that believe, Jesus said, not my, my faith is not in question, young man. Yours is. Your son's in this condition, not because God's his enemy, but because your faith is weak. I'm just talking. Every situation in my life is a failure of faith. Every bad situation is a failure of faith. Now, maybe the, maybe the situation came on me, but not, not because of my circumstances. Not because, but, but my, my inability to deal with it, my inability to, to grow through it is a failure of faith. Sometimes your situations come on you, it's not your fault. But, but, but your inability to, to, to grow through it is a failure of faith. You better trust him. You better be able to see beyond your circumstances. Keep your eyes on the prize. Faith is what's going to sustain you. Faith will give you power. That people don't understand. Faith, in fact, is the only thing that pleases God. Why would we be called to pray? I got four minutes. Why would we be called to pray? I got so much to say. Hallelujah. Not enough time to say it in. Why would, <laughs> I like that. Why would we be called to pray if the Father already knows what you have need of? He wants to see what? Your faith. I'm trying to teach you something here. Pastor, can I get it by five more minutes? I'm going to take you there. I'm going to take you there. That's, that's where I got to close at. See, the reality is, is that this thing called faith is what Jesus had that we don't. Ours is in such short supply that what Jesus did was come and be us in this place and show us how to walk the dusty roads of earth and deal with the machinations of our life in faith. That's what Jesus came to do. And he says, if you have faith, you can accomplish whatever you have set your mind on as long as it glorifies the Father. There is nothing that will be withheld from you if it glorifies the Father and it is done in faith. See, beloved, that, that, that's what we need to understand. Jesus came not to show us how big and bad he was, how divine and how powerful he was. He came to show us that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the ways there are the ways of death, but that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by him. You better follow Jesus. And there's only one reason why you need to follow him. It's because he's the only human being that ever made it out of life alive. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm done. Here's what it says in verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of what? Oh, there's that faith thing again. So it's a life of what? And they are witnesses to the life of faith. Then he says, 
since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Oh, I wish I had time to deal with that passage. Can I talk about it just a second? Don't, don't miss this. Sin ain't the only thing that trips you up. Look at the text. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. But pay special attention to the sin. So sin is among other weights. It, it, you know, doubt, fear, faithlessness, ignorance, greed, these are all weights that slow us down. Sin is not the only thing that's holding you back from running this race. But it does deserve special attention. There's all the weights, baby. Maybe it's maybe in the 10 years when I come back, I'll preach that text. Say, <laughs> said, I can't come back for 10 years. Anyway, so it says, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this. Look, I love that. God never leaves you trying to figure it out on your own. He says, look, you can run this race with endurance. You can strip off the weights to slow you down, and there's a way to do it. This is what he says. He says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Well, why do you watch him? Because he's the only human being that made it out of life alive. He's the one who walked through the minefield and made it. And if you've got to follow somebody through the minefield, put your feet in the footsteps of the one who's standing on the other side saying, come on, <laughs> that's who you follow. And if your feet are bigger than his, tiptoe. <laughs> See, beloved, we keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. You see, here, here the scripture takes a little pause. It says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. You see, beloved, the reality is, is that Jesus was able to endure all of the things, the vicissitudes of this life, the struggles, the pain, the pangs, the hurt, the heartache, the rejection, all of the things he had to endure, the things you have to endure. He was able to do it because he had his eyes on something beyond the cross. He trusted God that God would deliver him safe to that place. And he was willing in his humanity to go all the way. And when he hung on that cross, made those seven professions, the last of which was, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he hung his head and gave up the ghost. Jesus chose when he would die, but God chose when he would be raised. It's in our profession of faith. About seven, eight months ago, I realized in my church that we're not using the right profession. The profession says, in Romans chapter 10, I believe that Jesus is Lord, 
and that God raised him from the dead. Jesus didn't even raise himself because he was dead dead. He was dead just like you're going to be dead. But God, but he trusted. He went, y'all better hear me. Jesus went to the cross like you, like me, a human. And he trusted God that God would raise him from the dead. His faith was so complete. His faith was unwavering. His faith had no cheeks. He went and he said, I know I got to die. This is God's will. He said it in the garden. Not as I will, but as thy will. But he went to the garden, he went to the cross. He laid there. He took the nails. He took the crown. He took the thorns. He took all of that. He didn't, he didn't go there with the power to raise himself. But he went there with the faith that God would raise him. He was a man of faith. Complete and total. And today, beloved, this is hallelujah shouting time. I'm out give you a cue. In case you miss it. Today, there's a man in heaven. When I heard that, it messed me up. I messed up my theology a little. Greg, it messed me up a little. But there's a man in heaven. Because he came down through 42 generations, born as a man, died as a man. And was raised as a God man. He came as Christ. He went home as Jesus Christ. There's a man in heaven right now advocating for you and for you and for you. Why can he do that? How can he call on the God of heaven and say, look at him, he's yours. Hey, forgive him of those sins. Remember my sacrifice. How can he advocate for you? Because he walked your road. He felt your pain. He, he knew your struggle. He's had your hurt. He knows your loneliness. He can say to the Father, hey, they slipped, but that's grace for him. Remember the blood. I took it into the holy of holies in heaven, and I offered it myself, and I gave myself as a priest and a sacrifice for them. He's advocating for you right now beside the Father. He's a man in heaven, and I'm so glad today he opened the gates, and because he's there, I can go myself. I want you to see the length to which God has been willing to go to redeem you to himself, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have a lasting life. God sent not his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And today, there's a man in heaven. So there could be many men and many women who follow. Praise God. Like a ship out on the sea, I've been tossed from side to side. No one there to rescue me. Lord, I feel that I lose my mind, but I heard of how you love and how sweet your love could be. So I'm calling out your name, Lord. I Desperately, dear Lord, I come.
should turn to God and say, 